Welcome to this podcast on Zimbabwe by ICH, the Institute for Continuing History. The Institute is a professional research body that investigates acts of state-sponsored or communal violence, which continue to have a major impact on the lives of individuals and nations. This series, entitled Smooth Lies and Sharp Knives, focuses on the events that led to mass killings in the Matabeleland region of Zimbabwe during 1983 and 1984. For those who are unfamiliar with the places, parties and politicians mentioned in this episode, please see the ICH website for a primer on 1980s Zimbabwe. According to the ZANU-PF narrative of Zimbabwe's post-independence history, the discovery of dozens of arms caches in early 1982 was the second of three major events that led to the deployment of 5 Brigade in Matabililand during 1983. The first incident had been the Entumbane fighting of 1980 and 81, when ZANU's rival, ZAPU, had allegedly tried to seize power. A year later, ZANU announced dramatically that ZAPU and its leader, Joshua Nkomo, were at it again. They had been caught red-handed, this time caching arms on strategically located properties as part of an elaborate coup plot. The reality was different. The only secret plan in play was ZANU's, and the crisis was a myth, an event staged by Mugabe as part of his bid for absolute power. You are listening to a podcast from the Institute for Continuing History, written and presented by Dr. Stuart Doran. The website of the Institute for Continuing History is continuinghistory.org. On the 6th of February 1982, the Minister of State Security, Emerson Munangagwa, convened a press conference in Bulawayo, telling journalists gravely that he felt very low about a statement he had to make. The government had discovered around 60 arms caches in Matabililand, half of them at Gwai, the main base of ZAPU's military wing Zipra, and another 30 at a farm owned by a company connected to ZAPU. Over the next 10 days, a torrent of reports in the official media sought to portray ZANU-PF as having thwarted a colossal and imminent threat to national security. The reports repeatedly emphasised the scale of the caches, and almost daily there were stories of new finds by the police army and central intelligence organisation. Mugabe raged against, quote, these people who were planning to overthrow and take over the government, unquote. He said that ZAPU and, quote, other elements who wanted to start a civil war would be dealt with, unquote. As for Nkomo, he was, quote, like a cobra in the house, and the only way to deal effectively with a snake is to strike and destroy its head. How else can I describe a man we supposed was our friend and whom we invited to be part of the government? Unquote. 
Nkomo and three of his party colleagues were dismissed from cabinet and, in an operation personally directed by Mugabe and Munangagwa, senior members of Zipra and Zapu's former intelligence wing were arrested. The government of national unity that Mugabe had created in April 1980 was practically dead from this point. The arms caches crisis was undoubtedly a critical juncture in Zimbabwe's turbulent early years, with the already dire relationship between ZANU and ZAPU plunging yet further, accelerating towards the abyss. But how are we to understand it? The ZANU-PF version is that this was one of the last in a series of subversive acts that eventually broke the patience of the ruling party, prompting a ruthless but necessary operation to deal with Nkomo and his treacherous supporters. Others condemn the indiscriminate violence perpetrated by the Gukurahundi and lament the gigantic, festering wound it has left behind, but nevertheless blame Zapu for producing or contributing to a situation in which ZANU was bound to react. And it is often added that apartheid South Africa played a major part in stirring division between the two nationalist parties, not least of which was a covert role in the arms caches affair. The problem with this view is that it is founded not on the truth, but on ZANU-PF propaganda. Just as the lies promoted by the 20th century's most effective European dictatorships continue to have their echoes in today's conventional wisdom, for instance, the persistent view that Adolf Hitler swept to power in Germany on a wave of popular enthusiasm, the same may be said of ZANU's disinformation. The arms caches affair cannot be interpreted correctly without an understanding of its timing and of the political manoeuvres that were occurring in the background. The caches were not discovered in late 1981 and early 1982, as ZANU-PF would have us believe. Most had been found many months before in the wake of the second round of fighting at Entumbane, when the guerrilla armies had been disarmed. At Guai, for example, Zipra commander Sando Soneni was offered incentives and promptly revealed where the caches were located. That was in May 1981. As Munangagwa put it in a discussion with a diplomat, Soneni had, quote, become much more forthcoming with a good promotion to the National Army dangled in front of him, and considerable quantities of arms that had been buried had been dug up and surrendered, unquote. Evidently, many of the caches were deliberately left where they had been found. Soneni had also been involved in the caching of arms on Zapu farms and is likely to have revealed the location of some of those at the same time. Other stockpiles were put on the farms by Zipra commanders after Entumbane and seem to have been located during the disarmament process through aerial surveillance and further human intelligence. The government then planted more weapons for good measure. For example, hundreds of Kalashnikov rifles 
were taken from the former Salou Scouts barracks outside Salisbury and stashed on Zapu properties. It is clear then that Mugabe and Munangagwa had planned ahead during the first half of 1981 when Zipra had been disarmed. At the time when they stripped Nkomo of military protection, they had also left many of the arms caches in place so that they could be dug up if required. That moment arrived on the 5th of February 1982, during a meeting between Mugabe and Nkomo. Following a decision by ZANU Central Committee to hasten movement towards a one-party state, namely the dissolving of ZAPU and its absorption by ZANU, Mugabe had publicly called on ZAPU to discuss a unity agreement and had issued a number of warnings to, quote, those who want to destroy the government, unquote. The message to Nkomo had been clear. ZAPU should agree to fold or face the consequences of subversion. In early February, Nkomo went to talk to Mugabe about those threats. Militarily emasculated and internationally isolated, Nkomo was expected to buckle. But that was not what Mugabe got. Instead, the ZAPU leader said that his counterpart had, quote, so soured the atmosphere with his most recent speeches that there could be no question of continuing talks about unity, unquote. Mugabe was enraged. According to a ZAPU politician who attended the meeting, he was, quote, very angry but had issued no threats. None that Nkomo took to be such, at any rate. Mugabe had made a passing reference to the discovery of arms caches, quote, but gave no indication that he intended to make a fuss about them, unquote. Yet he quietly dispatched Munangagwa to Bulawayo on the same flight as Nkomo, and the announcement about the unearthing of caches was made the next day. Many were fooled by the subsequent media blitz, including the South Africans. In a demonstration that the apartheid regime had little to do with the affair, South African intelligence assessments reflected surprise and considered the Zimbabwean government's statements to be largely accurate. However, others who knew more about the political context and the disarmament process concluded that the crisis was a manipulation by ZANU-PF. The otherwise pro-ZANU Australian High Commissioner reported that the government had, quote, decided to bring on a carefully contrived showdown with ZAPU. Mugabe's frustrations with Nkomo reached breaking point and he decided to bring on a crisis, unquote. Likewise, the Canadians noted that the discoveries were, quote, carefully orchestrated, unquote, and they judged that, quote, in pursuing Nkomo so relentlessly, Mugabe is taking the risk that he can crush the PF Zapu leader and still maintain stability. Unquote. Mugabe himself put the matter beyond doubt a few weeks later when he told the visiting British Foreign Secretary Peter Carrington that quote, the last straw had come when he mentioned his ideas regarding a one-party state to Nkomo who refused even to talk about them.
unquote. It was then not a further act of subversion by Nkomo that contributed to the unleashing of the Gukarahundi a year later, but his refusal to come to Mugabe on bended knee, seeking unity on ZANU's terms. The arms cashers' crisis was a cynical stunt, nothing more. As was so often the case during Zimbabwe's early years, the most accurate guide to reality was to be found in turning ZANU-PF propaganda on its head. In his fake rage over ZAPU's alleged deceptions and its plans for a coup, Mugabe was attempting to mask ZANU's own scheme to acquire total power. You have been listening to a podcast from the Institute for Continuing History, written and presented by Dr. Stuart Doran. This series, entitled Smooth Lies and Sharp Knives, focuses on the events that led to mass killings in the Matabeleland region of Zimbabwe during 1983 and 1984.